Welcome back, everyone. We have a super exciting episode. I feel like we say that every week, but we definitely mean it this week. Super exciting episode today, all about building a business, uh, especially building a business as a woman. Yes. And we've been following this woman for a little bit, but we're luckily just meeting her for the first time today. So a little creepy. Not in person, by the way, not following in person, (laughs) like just normal Social media, normal social media following Mm -hmm. no red flags there. Yes. We've attended some of her events, um, and watched from afar. So we're really excited to dive into her company, but we have our first, uh, CEO and founder on the episode today. So really excited. I'm going to give her a a professional introduction because she deserves that. So in her full-time role at Angelus Venture, Rihanna works on the capital growth team, which focuses on increasing the number of successful startups in the world. Rihanna is the founder and CEO of Boss Women Collective, a community focused on empowering women in the early stages of their careers through personal growth and professional development. Boss Women Collective uses the idea of peer mentorship and authentic storytelling to build safe and open environments to make personal and professional connections. Over the past year, BWC has hosted over 60 panels, workshops, book clubs, and virtual experiences for its members. So welcome, Rihanna. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Taylor and Monica. I'm excited to chat today. Thank you so much yes, for joining so us. We're both so curious to know really what was the catalyst for you starting your own business, for starting Boss Woman Collective? What were some of the challenges that you were facing at the time that led to you starting this business? Yeah, definitely. So I started BWC about six months after I graduated UCLA in 2017. And I was at a really interesting place where I graduated. I did an internship after um after I graduated UCLA, and then I was unemployed. And I felt it was really hard to make new friends and also business connections where I would want to hang out with them outside of talking about resumes and LinkedIn. So I kind of wanted to put the two and two together where I can hopefully get some referrals for jobs and meet other young women who were just graduating college, but then also make some friends to go to brunch with or go out on a Friday night. So I started hosting local coffee shops in LA and West Hollywood, Culver City, and more and more women came. They really loved the concept and wanted to know where to follow me in this community. So I created an Instagram page and then pushed out content. And three years later, here we are. And you have, yeah, I mean, here you are, you have 25,000 Instagram followers. I'll brag for you. We have a solid about 150 Monica and I, so we need to take some tips from you on how to grow. (laughs) It's hard to take some tips from you on how to grow that. Monica and I have, like you said, we've been to your events and you can totally feel that authentic. Um, and ours, the ones we attended were panel events with a lot of people, like maybe even a hundred, but it still felt super intimate. And the conversations and questions asked were really vulnerable and like getting at who these women are as people, not just like putting them on a pedestal as professionals in their area. And, you know, women were asking advice, networking at the end. And it just seems to make networking so much more fun than your standard LinkedIn or cold call email. So I I love, I love the idea. Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest things that we push is, you know, it's really easy to look at someone's LinkedIn profile and get intimidated by their titles. But a lot of the questions and even a lot of the messaging that we push out is that there's a person behind those titles and behind that company and, you know, professional brand that they're building. And I think that's when you kind of tap into the authentic networking, when when you can push past all of the kind of fluff that we all put out when we're really trying to showcase who we are, which of course is important. But I think, you know, coming from a sales background, it's so important to build rapport and then try to push that through 
all the experiences that BWC does. How did you scale? How did you get to, you know, from where you started to where you are three years later, all of the Instagram followers, your attendees usually have over a hundred people attending. So it probably didn't happen overnight. What do you think were some of the key things that really helped you get the word out and start building up this community? Yeah, definitely. Well, first, it's definitely not a one woman show. Um, We have an amazing team of volunteers and community members and ambassadors that have really helped to grow and amplify the brand. So I actually started my career in social media about seven years ago. I've been doing Instagram and lifestyle blogging since 2013. So building a brand on social kind of comes second nature to myself. But with BWC specifically, I noticed, or I am the demographic of who we're targeting, you know, young women between 20 to 28 is kind of our sweet spot. So what I really focus on is bringing women who fit that so that I can understand what type of content they're craving and then create that with them. Uh, We work with designers to create like a brand guidelines. We're very visually strict on the type of content we post because of course we want our feed to look very aesthetically pleasing. And then I think the biggest thing is that every single asset that we post adds value, whether it's educational, empowering, inspiring. Some posts of ours get 3,000 saves and we get DMs all the time that before an interview, someone will go to BWC's page to get some tips or questions to ask. So we really have just focused on adding value to our members. And I think that's how we've been able to grow uh, so much of the past two years of really being strategic with our content. And your Instagram is so aesthetically pleasing. Like I've been looking at to try to get inspiration because building a social following is not second nature to me. I'm like not good at Instagram and creating, you know, it's, it's a lot of work. It's so much work. And so I've seen, um, you know, a lot of stuff on your page and and like you said, adding value and you'll have quotes or tweets or things that I'll identify with. And I'll even share out on our Instagram. I love that piece about like adding value. You're not just posting photos of like you at work or whatever, you know, or, or some kind of aspirational thing. And it's very, it's all super relatable. And in that, vein of like community building. Oh, I wanted to ask you, have you started a TikTok? Oh gosh. So that's one platform that we've been kind of lagging on. I personally started my like own TikTok page just so I can understand the platform and how to push out content. It's so hard. We've been testing reels and one of our reels just hit a hundred thousand views. So it's been a good motivation for us to create more. And I actually posted one today of myself, which was so embarrassing and awkward, but we want to jump into TikTok ASAP. So (laughs) once we kind of figure out our IG real strategy, we're going to implement that same strategy on TikTok. So BWC TikTok coming soon. Love that. Love that. We'll put a plug at the end so everyone knows where to follow on both platforms. Yes. Amazing. What about imposter syndrome as a CEO? Is that something that you struggled with in the beginning? Do you still struggle with it now? And have you developed any ways to kind of combat it or cope with it? So I never really experienced imposter syndrome the first year of building BWC because I was very hush-hush about it. I never actively promoted myself on the page or really talked about it much when I was living in Los Angeles. But when I moved to San Francisco in 2019, that's when the imposter syndrome really hit me because I felt like every single person who was working in tech was also building a side project or side hustle and monetizing it and talking about their reoccurring revenue. And I was just, you know, very much new to the tech scene. So when I got asked to speak on my first panel in San Francisco, 
I was like, are you sure I was supposed to get this email? Like just double checking. I know it says to Rihanna, but I, I think I really doubted like, do I have enough experience and expertise to be able to add value to a panel as well as to an audience of 70, 100 people? And after I started doing more of those experiences and had people come up to me afterwards and say, I really resonated with your story, or I love that you're only one year out of college, but you're on this event and you're talking about your experience so authentically that I really started leaning into that narrative and slowly but surely I've built that muscle. So now I don't feel imposter syndrome rarely ever, but I think a lot of that is because I don't compare myself to people with 10, 15 years more experience. It's more so like this person's really motivating. How can I get to their level or learn from them versus seeing them and then changing how I view myself? Being asked to be on a panel is just one of those moments where like, or in the early, the first few times it brings up so many feelings of imposter syndrome. Cause you're like, out of all the people you chose me and like, now I need to really sound smart and like prove to all these people watching why I'm even on this panel. And I've never, I mean, I've personally never been to an event where I'm like, why is that panel member up there? Like she's, she has nothing to say. Like, you know, you're always in awe of these people. So Monica and I had one of those moments a couple of weeks ago, we were asked to be on a panel at Headspace for women's history month. And we were like, Oh my God, like there's we'll so never many stop talking about this. I know. Panel. <laughs> We've talked about it for like the past six episodes, but like, it just, it just happens. I, I think it just brings up whenever you're asked to kind of highlight yourself or be in the spotlight, it brings up those feelings of like, am I worth it? Or should I be here? I'm wondering about like, if you ever hear you're, you're referred to as a female CEO or, you know, men, men are never referred to as male CEOs. They're just CEOs. And I wonder what your experience has been being referred to as a female CEO and how that feels to you. Yeah. So truthfully, I, before I did research on like the word and the history and why it can be deemed negative, BWC actually, one of our first campaigns was called Female Founder Friday back in 2018, where every Friday, as you can imagine, we had highlighted a female founder and we've highlighted about 50 founders so far. We've paused the campaign just to kind of rebrand it, but it started impacting me once I realized that no one ever says like male CEOs, it's CEOs and then female CEOs. And I think that distinction is kind of when I started realizing that there's so many different situations where that happens, like a female lawyer versus lawyers or female dentist. There's just every single profession. It's very clearly delineated when it's not for men. So I have actively taken steps in my personal life, as well as leading BWC to stay away from that language. And when I do see it, we try to help educate other communities that are growing on how it can be deemed um, offensive and just hurtful. And, and we just want to stay away from that narrative. So it's all a learning process. But for anyone who is listening to this, and maybe doesn't understand why we're happy to I'm happy to share more information if you do want to DM me or BWC about about this topic. It's hard because you do want to highlight, you know, because we are coming, it's kind of like we're coming from behind. You, you do want to hear from CEOs who are women. Maybe that's the way to say it. Cause it's like putting the job first secondary character characteristic, but you know, you want to uplift those voices, but then sometimes if you call it out too much, it makes it sound like this niche thing that's deviating from the norm, I guess. Yeah, it's a very fine spot because even, you know, if I, I haven't spoken on a panel where there are men and women and just thinking about that fact, I feel like a lot of communities have very, have very much become very niche of highlighting only women or those who identify as a woman. So I think there's so much work to be done, but 
there's also still so many mammals, like all male panels. So, <laughs> you know, on both sides of the spectrum, when you look at certain industries that are so male dominated, like the one I work in, in venture capital, it's it's really finding that fine balance. And I think as more communities like Imposter or like with Boston Collective pop up, I think people can realize like, you know, there's a lot of people I can lean on for support. So if I do join a panel and I'm the only woman, I still feel supported because I've learned all these tips on how to combat imposter syndrome and things like that. Manals. I love it. I mean, don't love it, but... I don't love it. I just, it's hilarious. (laughs) Rihanna, speaking of balance, you mentioned that you do also have a full-time role on top of running and acting as CEO as your own business. What is that balancing act like for you? And has that sort of evolved over the years in terms of where you need to set boundaries, things that you say yes and no to? So for background context, there was a part of 2019 and early 2020 where I had made the decision to pursue Bossman Collective full-time. I felt like that's what I really wanted to do. I had established it as a business and I really wanted to run at it. But I felt that once I was viewing BWC as something to pay the bills, it took away some of the joy and excitement of doing something for fun and because I was really passionate about it versus paying rent. So as I applied for new jobs and I got my full-time job at AngelList, I knew that I had a very clearly defined when I'm working my nine to five and when I'm working BWC. So I don't do BWC work during the day. I do all my meetings after work. BWC has very strict offline hours for all of our team members. You're not supposed to ping anyone from Thursday night to Sunday night. And that's to encourage everyone to take mental breaks away from their computers. And then how I balance it is that I'm just like very efficient with my nine to five work. I rarely have meetings outside of four to 5 p.m. And since I recently moved to the East Coast, my team's on the West Coast, I can kind of optimize different hours to get all my work done. But you know, for some people who work more than 40 hours per week, this is clearly not going to be as relevant to them. I'm very fortunate in that my job and my company promotes a pretty healthy work-life balance. I love that. I even I even find with our podcast, I'll, I'll like the instinct to be like, oh, who should we have next week? You know, just kind of daydreaming during your normal job. And I'm like, okay, wait, I can't like, you cannot focus your energy on both at once. And I love that those offline hours and reinforcing that. And I feel like the more that companies start to do that, we have that at Headspace. You know, people don't get praised for working long hours or working over the weekend. People are kind of like, why did you do that? <laughs> you know, so... I feel like the more companies that do that just will help everyone in the in the long run and just have that be the norm. Yeah. And I think companies as well as leaders, there's so many leaders I follow on Twitter and LinkedIn that talk about like, I did a like 12 hour brainstorm session on the weekend or they're posting about the grind, the hustle, idolizing working 80 plus hours per week. And I definitely fell into that mix of being influenced by that narrative. But I love that so many leaders are like, I'm not responding if you slack me after 6pm, like you'll get a message back tomorrow at 9am because that's working hours. And I think as much as we can push that younger women know that, you know, maybe they don't have to leave the workforce for XYZ reasons, because more companies are really promoting a healthy balance. Who are some of those leaders that you really look up to or who have kind of given you help along the way? There's uh, two that come to mind, Rebecca and Katie from an awesome company called Own Trail. They really promote, especially on their Twitter and LinkedIn, just being a working mom, what it looks like to be a founder, to have young kids, to go offline. Um, another great one is Sajani. She founded Cola Goodies. And these are, of course, all amazing people that we featured on Boston Collective. But I think um, kind of just showing that you have a life outside of your work. I think a lot of people 
have this misconception that if you founded your company, all you care about is your company or the industry or the sector that you're in. And you can't have hobbies or interests outside of that. So the more that you can show your life, I think, especially when there's so many founders that have kind of become influencers, I think the more impactful this entrepreneurial journey will look like for so many budding entrepreneurs that want to follow down similar paths. So Rihanna, what are some of your hobbies and interests then outside of both your nine to five and boss women collective? So one of my favorite hobbies, I don't know if this is considered a hobby, but I'm a huge like coffee snob. I love going to new coffee shops. I just moved to New York three days ago and I've already been to seven coffee shops. (laughs) So every morning, my goal is to like explore a new place, whether it's coffee or brunch or a bar. And then I'm also really into lifestyle photography. So I'm saving up for a nice camera, but I love to just like explore the city on foot, take photos, share them on social. It kind of brings me like peace and like moments of calm to be able to take photos, edit them and share them out. So those are two current hobbies that I have. I love that. What's your favorite coffee? What coffee place do you miss the most from San Francisco? Cafe Rive. They have five locations in the city. It's really beautiful. It's like pink and white, very aesthetic and Instagrammable. I used to walk there every morning. So Mm. if you're in San Francisco, highly recommend it. Pay it a visit. I love what you were saying about just uh, back to the work-life balance stuff and your company is called Boss Women Collective. And there's like this whole other contingency of like boss ladies hustle harder. Like, you know, you're a boss woman, like you're working grind, you're grinding like all day on your, you know, your side hustle. And it makes it this super intimidating thing where, where who the heck would want to start their business? If that's what it's like, you're grinding all the time. Like that sounds awful to me. That is not what you all are preaching over there. Yeah, that actually, we had a huge shift in our content. I I feel like one day, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people had epiphanies last March 2020 with everything that happened. But prior to that, we actually did somewhat promote unhealthy narratives of the fact that you should think about your full time job and a side hustle and find your passions and monetize it. But after March 2020, when I was unemployed, going through a pandemic, also leading Boss Woman Collective, I realized that a lot of what we were doing was kind of talking about your professional narrative being like the most important thing to build, to build social capital versus like stepping away and finding hobbies outside of work, things that don't require a laptop. So we've done a lot better of a job now. And I think that that's just because so many people had to put their life on pause and their routines on pause with everything that happened last year. We're trying to get better at it, but we don't ever want someone to see Boss Woman Collective and feel like I'm not a boss woman based off of where I think I am in my professional narrative. So we really want to be as relevant as possible to women, no matter where they are in their personal or their professional lives. Yeah, that totally resonates, especially with what you said, taking that time off and then running at Boss Woman Collective full time and realizing that it wasn't bringing you the same kind of joy when it all of a sudden had to be absolutely everything. It's unfortunate because it sounds like we do create this narrative of, you know, you should love your job and what you're doing so much that you want to spend 80 hours doing it. And if you're not, there's something wrong with you. And that's just not, that's not true. So we should all just kind of maybe like stop lying to yourselves. If that is true for you, then that's great. But also if it's not true for you, that's also great because it's really just about finding what clicks and and what brings you joy. And some people are going to have a nine to five that they like enough and that they see good growth and pays the bills, but you know, they don't go to bed every night 
dreaming about whatever their day job is. Yeah, I love that. That is actually a, a recent epiphany that I had because a lot of people would message me or BWC and be almost scared that they weren't passionate about their job. They felt like there was something wrong with them, but that's totally a, fi- a fine. And I think it leaves space for you to find more hobbies and interests outside of work. And also it comes with a sense of privilege to be super passionate, excited about your work, where it makes other people feel like they have to keep looking for the next thing versus being okay with what's currently in front of them. So each person is going to have their own narrative. If you love what you do, that's amazing. If you don't, that's also totally fine. I love that. That that really puts me at peace <laughs> too. Cause I think that's what brings up some of the imposter feelings. If you're like, my work is not my life passion and I don't feel the need to be doing this all hours of the day. Like, what am I missing? Am I never going to be successful? It just totally contributes to that, that kind of toxic cycle. Switching gears a little bit. I saw something that you guys did and maybe this is old. So correct me if I'm wrong, but you did something called member Monday spotlights, which are, you know, a way to amplify voices of women of color. And I'd love to hear from you, you know, how you're able to do that in an authentic way. I obviously a lot of companies now are kind of reckoning with how do we amplify voices of color and bring those voices to the forefront because they're so often not. I mean, as two white women on this podcast, it's something that's really at the forefront of our mind and we really want to amplify voices of women of color and people of color in general. So yeah, what are your tips and tell us about those member Mondays? Yeah. So member Monday actually started with our ambassador program uh, a year and a half ago. So we put out applications and really anyone could join as long as they filled out the form. But our hashtag is BWC Babe. And then every Monday we would highlight five to 10 of those ambassadors. And what we found is that we never specifically put, put out a call to action of, hey, we're looking for ambassadors that fit these boxes. Or if you're a woman of color, we'd love for you to join our community. But because I have somewhat of a social brand, a lot of my followers are women of color or South Asian women specifically, since I'm South Asian, I noticed that that kind of carried over with Boston Women Collective. So we built this really beautiful community with women from diverse locations, experiences, professional backgrounds. And with our current team, we have 23 members who all dedicate, you know, about like one to two hours per week. And we have like a really great team bond. So we're currently highlighting those team members every Monday. And my biggest thing is that I want people to look at our feed and see someone that they resonate or see someone that looks like them or comes from the similar background. So with all of our panels, all of our events, even the authors of the books that we read, we really focus on making sure that we're touching on a lot of different things. And that, of course, helps. Uh, We have an amazing woman, Ganit, who's our head of diversity, equity, inclusion. So having that second pair of eyes on everything we do also helps to ensure that if we do get called out, we understand why we did something wrong. We're able to rectify the situation. It's been really helpful to have that being pushed across everything we do. Yeah. It sounds like you're really like going out of your way to try and promote inclusivity. And even if there was a situation where you did get called out, probably turn that into a learning experience as well for you and for the entire team. What would you give for women who are looking to grow their networks, expand their networks? What are some sort of like key pieces of advice that you would give to them? Yeah. So I would say before you start thinking about growing your network, Nowadays, it's so important to have some form of public brand. And I know it can be scary, especially for people who don't come from a background where they have that muscle built of pushing out content or sharing their thoughts online. But what I found for my mentees, 
those who reach out to me that have some information about themselves online versus those who haven't posted anything on LinkedIn or don't even have a title or a photo, they're going to obviously get a lower response rate. So I would say one, like focus on building your professional or personal brand before you start networking to make it as easy as possible for the person you're asking for something from to respond, whether it's offering an audio call instead of video, asking your three questions in the first message versus saying, I'd love to just pick your brain on a 30 minute video call with someone you've never met, you will probably constantly get rejected. And then the main thing is following up. So a lot of people, you know, say you have that 30 minute call, that mentor oftentimes never hears from the mentees again. So stay in touch with the people you're building your network in, whether it's sending them a link to a podcast you really enjoyed or an article or commenting on something they post on LinkedIn. I think networking is not just like a one and done. It's about continuing to foster that relationship. So those are three things that come top of mind that have been really helpful for me that I think would be really beneficial for others as well. That's so funny you say that about the LinkedIn 30-minute uh, video call because I got one of those, I think, yesterday. And he was like, I would love to hear your story. And I literally was like, okay, here's listen to my first episode of my podcast. Like here it is, you know, because it kind of shows that you didn't totally do your research. I feel like also doing your research on the person, like knowing a little bit about that person and and just showing you, you put some effort. You're not just kind of like blasting out these requests to a lot of people because then I'm much more apt to respond if it's personal. And I think I can personally help. So I was like, here, here's my episode. And he's like, oh, so sorry for we're not seeing that. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, check it out and ask questions if I have any. Yeah. I love those tips and just having that LinkedIn and it's such an easy way to get a quick scannable, you know, top level view of what you've been up to. So I love that. And I personally have used Twitter a lot to do networking and outreach. So depending on the sector, I assume a lot of the audience members work in tech or something more STEM related, but almost every tech leader is on Twitter as well. So maybe if you aren't having the best luck with LinkedIn, try Twitter as well. Very cool. What's something you're really proud of, Boss Women Collective? Wow, so many. I would say probably our book club. So we launched it two months before the pandemic hit and then we continued it into 2020. And so many of the book club members have said that they haven't read a book in years outside of an educational setting. And they feel really inspired, not just by the content that they're reading, but by the community that's being formed in the biweekly meetings. So I personally read a lot of books. So for me, it didn't really seem like a big deal when we were launching it, but just seeing the growth of the book club and just how exciting it is to read different types of content is something that I'm really proud of. And then of course, Boston Collective was featured in Forbes in 2020. So that was a big like moment of like, okay, this is actually something. It's not just like a baby community that I built on the side because I like creating beautiful content. So I would say those two things are two things that I'm really proud of. Congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. What's something you wish you knew before starting Boss Women Collective? I would say the concept of building in public, it's kind of a phrase that I've seen more founders and entrepreneurs use lately of as you're building your community, kind of share what you're testing, what you're learning and collect feedback in real time. I felt when I was starting BWC that everything had to be perfect and I didn't want to share about what we were doing until it was like fully baked and ready to go. And I wish I kind of iterated a little bit better with the community 
so that they felt like they were forming the direction that BWC was taking. I also wish that I leaned more on leaders who had already built a community to kind of learn from them versus trying to figure out everything on my own. I probably made a lot of mistakes that would have been avoided had I connected with other leaders in the same sphere as Boston Collective. So those are two things I wish I did more of, and I probably can still do more of now. So now I, I say this out loud, maybe I'll be more motivated to actually follow through with, you know, connecting and doing this more. Kind of that idea of um, build fast or fail fast, fail fast, maybe, maybe that's it. And that's kind of what we did with our podcast too, because you can just spin your wheels so much and be like, this isn't perfect. Or I need this perfect microphone, or we need this perfect editing software. And we need a thousand followers before we can launch anything. And we were just like, let's just start it and like build it, you know, as it's happening. Cause then I feel like you can just kind of paralyze yourself in that space of it's gotta be perfect. And you know, nothing can happen until this happens. Yeah. If I waited for BWC to be perfect, I probably wouldn't have even launched it till like probably not even now. So I'm glad that I at least started it and then put it out there and then see what that feedback was and then just kind of keep mo- moving, keep going from there. And perfectionism is also such a moving target. You know, if, if you had this insight three years ago that you would be CEO of this organization that has so much following, has been featured in Forbes, has such an amazing growth trajectory, that feels probably very different to the person that you were there versus the person who you are now looking like, okay, well, where do I want to be three years from now? Yeah, definitely. I would not have believed like a little coffee shop meetup at Blue Bottle in Culver City would turn into this when with like 15 people at the first one. So it definitely is like a crazy feeling. And it's, I think it is important to reflect back on where you started because it's so easy to constantly, like you mentioned, perfection's a moving target. Think like, oh, there's so much more I want to do. I want to be at 50,000 followers or 100,000. I want a blue check mark. But it's like, you need to just pause and appreciate the little steps you've taken and where you are now. Because if you don't embrace these moments, you're going to just keep growing and nothing's ever going to really hit you. Like, wow, you're making so much progress. And not comparing to, like you said before, not getting into that compare and despair cycle of looking at your peers or even people who started their organizations a year, a couple of years before and seeing where they at and thinking, well, I need to be here and I'm not meeting my marks. There's just no way to really win in that scenario. Well, I feel like that's a good place to move to imposter and all-star. I don't have any work-related ones. I have an all-star moment, just like personal all-star moment. So we're always, we're talking a lot about negotiation, asking for what you're worth. As women, we don't always ask. You're kind of like, okay, that's fine. You know, you don't want to make it stink. And so I was just meeting with a person that's going to install custom closets in my place. And he was like, give me the quote and everything. And like, it's always like weird to a woman, like talking to a, like, male, you know, professional about their work and about money. Cause you kind of think that they're always trying to get one over on you. But I was just proud of myself. Cause he gave me the quote and I was like, is that your best and final? And he was like, okay, I'll knock, I'll knock down 150. Cause you're nice. And I was like, deal. <laughs> and it was like, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, 150, was a drop in the bucket, but you know, I just felt like, you know what? I, slight discomfort saying that, but felt like a great negotiation moment, building the negotiation muscles and just taking up more space, asking for what I want. So that was a fun moment. (laughs) Yeah. And maybe next time you ask for 500. I know. Right. Then he was like, you know, if we go any lower, it it dips into the labor costs for the men doing the work. And I was like, yes. Okay. Yes. You know, you're working during COVID, you're doing manual labor and I can't do that. So you, I will, I'm okay with that. 
I have one that's just kind of like silly that just happened this morning, which is that I saw this video on TikTok of how to do like a cute, like high ponytail. <laughs> and I, I had, I had, I think less than like less than five minutes before my standup, but I was like, this looks so easy. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna whip this up. And then I can't wait to see how cute I look on this video call. It didn't turn out that way. It was <laughs> like, it, maybe because my hair is like a bit layered or not thick enough, but you could like see the hair tie through it. And there were like little pieces falling off on the side, but then the back was still really long. And it just looks so, so weird. I had, I kept my camera off for my, <laughs> for my whole meeting. Cause I was like, so embarrassed. I thought you were going to say like someone made a comment about it. Like, no, I wouldn't let them. I wouldn't let them because I kept my, they, they might have. I'm sure they wouldn't. But yeah, it was that bad. All-star moment. We're starting to kind of scope out a new project on my team, which is exciting. And we have basically a good chunk of time this week to do the initial investigation on it and do a, a technical spike where we basically build like a very, very small MVP just to see what's the bare minimum we need to do to get it to work. I started looking at it yesterday and got it done in like maybe like an hour hour and a half because we had already done sort of so much foundational work for the last project that i was working on and so that just felt really good i took a video or like recorded an, a video in the app of, of what it looked like and sent it to some of the other engineers it was just it was nice to be able to do that because android is always kind of lagging behind in terms of where we are in our development cycle ios just always gets things done sooner and ships them sooner. So it was exciting to be the first. I guess it is my turn. So all-star moment would probably be, um, I just moved to New York five days ago and it's been something that I've wanted to do the last 10 years. So definitely felt like all of my goals and the trials and tribulations that led to me getting here finally just kind of worked out in my favor. So it definitely felt like an amazing moment for me. Luckily, I haven't had any imposter moments, but I did catch myself. Someone DM'd me on Twitter and they called me successful. And I immediately cringed when they said that. And I wanted to like downplay and dismiss the compliment, but I didn't. So I would say that that would be like my almost imposter moment, but turned it into a non-imposter moment. And I'm just trying to continue to tap into that energy in my day-to-day -day going forward. So it was a good kind of almost wake-up call of what I would have done three years ago and how I've changed and improved for the better now. So I feel very grateful for this boss energy that I've just built up <laughs> and stored it to use in different moments like that. I love that. It's such a great way to combat those moments. And as long as you have awareness about them, then they can't kind of eat away at you. Yes. Very mindful approach to yes. tackling it. <laughs> well, this was such a great conversation, Rihanna. Thank you so much. So many good insights. Yes. I'm so excited that we got to chat about this. Thank you, yes. both of you. Yes. We'll definitely link the Instagram and, and TikTok soon to be TikTok uh, 
in the, in the bio notes. Maybe this will inspire some people to get ideas off the ground that they've been sitting on or thinking need to be perfect. You know, anyone can be a founder and female or male or non-binary and it's possible. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Founder, however, you want to identify in any sector, you know, you can be the CEO of yourself, of an organization. There's so much opportunity potential. I think we're kind of like staying away from like a specific resume you have to have. So I love that this podcast will hopefully encourage many others to do so. Or even just encourage others to stop working at 5 or 6 p.m. and like go, I don't know, go for a walk, go play tennis, play the violin, whatever. I don't do any of those things, but (laughs) (laughs) whatever brings some joy outside of work with no guilt or pressure or strings attached. Yes. Clap to that. You can be you can be a founder and CEO <laughs> and have another full-time job and still maintain balance in your life. So here you heard it first. You heard it here first. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> Loud and proud. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye.